Welcome to the Dr. Dad's Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts in health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned. We're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. What's up, everybody? We are back with another episode of the Dr. Dad's. David Wardy, my brother, how you doing, buddy? I am great, brother. You uh, you looked magnificent out in Joshua Tree this past week. <laughs> the the light and the way it just reflected off the skin and the rocks was was it was just perfect. So thank you. For How that. was that? Pretty amazing. <laughs> Joshua Tree is incredible. Have you been to Joshua Tree before? I have not. I see it in the movies. I hear about it all the time. But those pictures that you took out there, that was it's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's really a, it's a magical place for sure. And I'd never been either. Uh, Sony and I have been wanting to go to Palm Springs for a while just for, you know, get away from, you know, the blistering cold here in Canada in the wintertime. But um, Joshua Tree wasn't necessarily on the radar unless we were ending up going to a retreat, which is a very common place for these things to happen. But yeah, it was a, I mean, it was a, it's a magical place. The, the rock, the way it, you know, came together, looked like someone stacked it with like Lego bricks. It was, it was beautiful. And I mean, it's something that you can definitely take a family out to as well, because I mean, there's these massive boulders that, you know, I know your son Diego loves to climb too. And I was thinking my mm-hmm. boys being out there and, um, and you, you know, you get out to, uh, we went to hike this area called Rattlesnake Canyon and, you know, you move, you walk up into this Canyon, you know, at first light or what have you, and you come out into these different openings with these really intricate, interesting designs in the rocks and, different sort of plateaus and levels to climb up to and you're sort of walking between thorny bushes and um it's beautiful absolutely the art, the art of nature yeah yeah absolutely so but you were uh, in your element man you were teaching yeah i was i was i got a chance to teach with uh our, our one of our favorite uh yogis out there and that's tommy rosen and he for those of you who don't know, he's written the book Recovery 2.0. He has this whole massive online community on recovery and teaching a, a new way out of addiction through yoga, kundalini yoga, meditation, lifestyle, nutrition. And as you know, David, I mean, when he speaks, it's like magic just flows out of his mouth. He's just this really conscious, loving human being, and, and he's changing the world and changing the way that people move through recovery so it's it was an honor to be able to speak at the at the conference and and what he's doing is he's actually teaching a a massive group of people that go out and learn how to to teach what he does so there's there's he's certifying these recovery coaches which is so needed in the world that we live in right oh yeah tom like you said man tommy's amazing i mean Mm -hmm. it was at men's camp it was awesome just to just be around that guy for a little bit of time yeah absolutely mastery for sure Mm mm-hmm well, that's awesome, man. It's good to see you back. Yeah, yeah, it's we good to be back. Yeah, we get to connect today. So today, me and Nick are going to do some Q&A, and we're going to talk about some pretty good topics. And these are just general things that I think everyone should know, uh, and it's just good information. So let's get into it, man. So the first question I have for us today is, what is the best diet? Mm, yes, great question. Well, it's got to be the ketogenic diet. No. No, nope. the paleo diet. Whole 30, it must be. <laughs> the zone, carnivore, vegan, right. vegetarian. Oh, man. 
this is a this is a rabbit hole, right? Where do where do you? I'm curious. Where do you start with patients when when they tell you I want to be on the best diet? What do you what do you tell them? So the first thing that I typically tell them is number one, it's not about one diet. There isn't one diet for everybody. And then I tell them at the end of the day, you want to be metabolically flexible. And I explain that what that means being fat adapted and being efficient fat burner and glucose burner and being able to push that needle. And then also digestibility and eating the right types of foods. So eating nutrient rich, nutrient dense foods, right? So I mean, that's the foundation I always try to paint the picture for the patient. How about you, man? Yeah, that, you know, to be honest, I've been struggling a little bit lately because we hear so much amazing information from so many different docs. Would you agree? Like, I mean, there's there's amazing info and different guests that go on to like Bulletproof Radio or, you know, at our conferences, we're hearing from, you know, masters in nutrition and we're getting to hear about cancer research research and the ketogenic diet and i tell you what like as a doctor don't do you sometimes feel a little confused about you know the 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 right thing but this is you know this is really where that die variation piece comes in i think yeah i would agree man uh i think a couple of things come into mind number one diet variation like you're saying but also what you're targeting for the for for yeah. your I think as the person, you have to figure out through, you know, metrics and measuring and and doing things along the way of what works for you Mm -hmm. and with what you're struggling with, you know, like example with keto, like some people have tried keto and maybe they have some genetic uh, variations that they don't do well and it raises cholesterol or like really high levels, right? Yeah. Or let's say they have an issue with their liver or their gallbladder and they're not digesting the fat. Like there's some things they need to work on maybe before they go into a ketogenic diet, fix some of that organ dysfunction, glandular stuff, and then they possibly would do better. Mm -hmm. You know, then there's on the other side of this whole, should you eat meat? That's when I struggle with, man, because- Oh, totally. Yeah, real quick personal story, and this is great. I haven't told you this, but you'll love this. So when I went with Nick on this men's retreat in Vancouver, I was gone for- it was a full week, right? So seven mm-hmm. days. And that whole period, uh, probably f- from the time we started men's camp, and I went a whole 10 days. Uh, so we did, me and Nick did five days of partial fasting, and we were eating a completely vegetarian-based meal every night at dinner. And then I kept the whole vegetarian thing going for the next 10 days, or next five more days. So it was 10 days total. So I came off meat completely, man. And I felt wow. amazing, buddy. Like. Wow. I felt really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big deal for a Texan. Oh, buddy. Like, <laughs> beef is a religion down here, right? Right. Yeah, I can imagine. I beef, right? <laughs> um, so, man, like, and honestly, like, you know what I've been telling uh, the people in my community is we've had a lot of places here in El Paso that have tried to open restaurants that are, like, vegan or vegetarian. But honestly, buddy, the food you and me ate at men's camp was so amazing like mm-hmm. delicious like yeah. i didn't know that i wasn't eating meat but like some of these places locally they don't cook like that and then i noticed in vancouver you guys have this massive community of people that are vegan or vegetarian so i think there's a, just a whole lot more supply there because of the yeah. demand and the quality is just immensely better of the type of cooking and the foods they put together yeah but man i felt really good so this whole like carnivore diet and vegetarian plant-based you know like you're right. It, it can be very confusing to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I think that's where I've been struggling the most is because 
for the for well, 15 years or 12 to 15 years uh, back in actually naturopathic school, I started vegetarianism or starting to eat just veg, veggie only. And then up until about three three or so years ago, three and a half years ago, um, I went to this this course. Uh, it's called uh, TBM, Total Body Modification. It's kind of like muscle testing and AKA that kind of thing. And they were muscle testing me, and there's and the guy who muscle tested me was like, "Well, you're low protein." And I'm like, "Okay, well, that makes sense. I'm vegetarian." And the whole teaching there was you got to eat based on your lineage, your genealogy, right? Like, wh- what did your ancestors eat? That's how you should be eating. And then I was like, "You know what? I should at least try it out again. I should see, you know, how my body responds." And to be to be honest, when I go back and forth, I I don't really notice a big difference one way or another. I, I haven't yet had the inkling to actually really give carnivore a try, but um, up until actually coming back from men's camp or just before, I really just went, you know what, since I don't actually feel any better eating meat, I'm just going to go back to my vegetarian lifestyle. And it's been really interesting because when we see all the, the, the different research, when we see the research on, um, you know, carnivore and, and how it's putting you into, you know, semi-permanent state of ketosis which is benefiting gut bacteria and brain and all that stuff my arketogenic type training uh makes me go well that really makes sense but then when you hear yogis like Karusing speak on vegetarianism and just how i feel about animals like i i actually don't think that i have a desire to kill an animal and so i start to wonder if i don't actually want to kill an animal why is it okay that I eat animals that other people are killing? And and I have to question that. And I think that there's validity to the fact that there was a point in time in our history where, you know, let's say the Ice Age or what have you, where there really wasn't a vegetation around. And so at one point in time, we probably did need to eat animals. And then, you know, fast forward, do we need to eat animals now? And then when the carnivore discussion comes in around, um, you know what, the modern day farming with mass agriculture, we're doing more harm by planting these vegetarian fields on our planet with all the sprays, knocking down forests, planting these massive fields of, you know, GMO foods or what have you. Are, are, is, is the vegetarian diet serving the planet? So like, this is where I keep kind of going back and forth of like, you know, and then looking at the physiology, where I'll speak to it the way the Gersing speaks to it. Um, we're herb, or sorry, herb. We're we're tribe beings, meaning we live in community. Predators, carnivores, don't live in those kind of communities. Uh, a wolf pack is a little bit different. There's a hierarchy to it. So there's a leader, and then there's everyone below it. Um, humans are in a tribe. There's not necessarily meant to be there's meant to be more of a collective collaboration as opposed to this hierarchy. We know that the monarchy doesn't work, right? Having this higher power and then everyone must obey. We know that that doesn't work. So we're, we're tribal by nature. Um, we, our digestive tracts are longer. They match that of the omnivore. We don't have the, the canine teeth. Um, you know, there's, there's all these things physiologically that, so to be honest, like I'm in a state of a bit of confusion around, around this. Anything come up for you when I speak on these things? 
Yeah, one thing that came to mind is over the years, Clarissa and I have had uh, quite a bit of vegans or vegetarians come into the clinic with health issues. Yeah. And one of the things that we have tried because of just diet variation, if they didn't have too much of an issue with belief, is to get them to eat a little bit of animal protein. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times they'll start with like some fish and then they'll do a little bit maybe chicken, uh, things like that. A lot of times they won't do red meat, which is fine, but we'll get them to just eat a little bit of animal protein. And it's done massive things for them, man. Like they actually feel better. So I get the whole, like you're saying, well, I've come on and off and I don't really notice it. But like for me, like I just said, like I came off and I feel really good when I come off meat. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, I feel really good when I eat meat. So it's kind of like, I think we just keep coming back to this variation of like, for individuals who are unsure, I think maybe they should just try some variations that they've never tried before and see how they feel. Mm-hmm. You know, like for me, I think it would be good to me for me to come off meat a couple times a year for maybe ten to thirty days and just play with it, and because it honestly did feel a difference. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you say that because, you know, I think the the big point that we all can can own for ourselves is to not judge other people, right? Even when I see a patient come in that's that's vegan, that I, I typically don't push a vegan diet or vegetarian diet on anyone let's be honest, a lot of the people eating vegan diets are eating fake food. Mm-hmm. You know? So that in itself comes with a huge host of problems. And so a lot of the vegans aren't even eating vegan properly. Like if you're vegan, eat your vegetables. Like it's, it's, it's kind of like that. And on the other side, if you're a carnivore, I'm sorry, but eating steaks and eggs is not really a true carnivore diet. You got it's nose to tail, and there's a there's a reason for eating the whole animal and the organ meats and all those other things. And then people on the modern day ketogenic diet, you know, bacon three four times a day and and steaks three four times a day with you know um, like gluten free breads and stuff like that. Guess what? You're you. It's not actually the greatest option for you either. Just getting the ketosis through your food isn't always the answer, and this is why. You know, what I can always safely come back to in this discussion is build your diet around your fasting window. And that that plays such a huge role in, in this whole process for people. Well, and that's a good place to start, right? Like you're saying with a fasting window and then building it around that and then kind of playing, man. Like, yeah, you know, when I started fasting, I noticed that I ate so much more than I should have been eating. Like that was the biggest thing that I picked up right off the bat is, I mean, there were the benefits, like my energy went up, right. And like I was, I had less brain fog and all these things started happening, but I was eating like way too much food every day. Way too much. And you start to realize like, like you were like so upside down for so long. Like what kind of damage did that do to your body eating so much food all the time? Yeah. Yeah, and so what what do you say to to those that are that are adopting more of the ketogenic high protein type of keto eating? I you know, I'm a big I'm big on everybody trialing everything. So yeah. like giving it a try, right? And I you know, I I haven't done the whole high protein keto you're saying like at the same time. You know, I I I've deviled in ketosis. I like it. It works for me. There's reasons I'll do it. Like if like I have a race coming up next month, it's the beast for the Spartan race. It's a 13 mile race. I need to be in ketosis, man. Like I can't be in a sugar burning mode for that race. I'll, I'll like yeah. die on the course. That'll be a really rough day for me. 
so there's benefits there and like again now we're talking and you say you're right about this rabbit hole right like mm-hmm. but you have to do it right like i can't be doing bad things while i'm trying to be in ketosis it can't be dirty keto it has to be clean yeah. right yeah and then um I have to carb cycle a little bit, right? And then I've played with the with the protein consumption stuff and then alternate day deals. And to be honest with you, like I've been in full-blown ketosis with fasting and been able to put on 12 pounds in like six weeks. Mm-hmm. So like it is possible to put on muscle while you're doing all this stuff. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of myths, but I honestly think it just depends on the person. And like you're saying, like, it's not about judgment. It's not about one being better than the other. It's about kind of playing and finding what works best for you. And for me right now, I'm in and out of ketosis. A lot of it's seasonally. I have my feast modes, right? Um, but, you know, I know what works for me, and that's kind of the realm that I stay within with my food. I, I, and I, it's, it's been a learning process. Like, this yeah. is over a decade of me trying to figure out, you know, like, example, like dairy, Probably like every couple of days, every two or three days, I'll have a little bit of dairy. But like, like most people, if I do it all the time, it starts to cause problems. Mm-hmm. How about you, man? Like anything you notice that you put in your diet that maybe you find has caused disruption over time that you've learned over time that you don't do well with? Yeah, the the big thing for me that is uh, is yeah, too many grains. I just don't do well with grains. I just get too full. I feel bloated. Um, I can have a little bit of dairy. I mean, my dairy is, is grass-fed cheese and grass-fed butter. Uh, I, I'm not a milk guy. I don't do yogurt. And not that I don't like the taste of yogurt. I just, it's just not something I do. But uh, for me, it's, it's, it's grains. And, it just, and it, it's one of those things, too. Like, if, I, if it's been a couple days in a row, my mood goes down. My energy goes down. Uh, and part of that definitely has got to be connected to, obviously, ketones and whatnot. I do really well on a vegetarian diet for the most part. My energy is usually good and whatnot. Um, I, when I'm going pretty strict veggie for a while and if I've gone more vegan for a period of time, I'll definitely bring in some amino acids and some you know, supplement support there because um, I, f- I find that actually is quite helpful. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that this discussion, because it, it is a bit of a rabbit hole, I think people kind of go on a journey like I think a good starting point is getting rid of processed foods and sugars and the obvious garbage that we're putting in our bodies and then maybe the second thing is is starting to you know sort of experiment with possible food sensitivities like what are some of the more common things that are going to be triggered for people and and then maybe you can start having that ethical discussion with yourself what feels right for you you know and then I think eventually this is where you can bring in more fasting and diet variation but ultimately, I think the place we all need to get to is is intuitive eating, and that's that's deeply listening, really really listening to before and after how we feel, and really what are you being drawn to? Not emotionally, right? Because <laughs> there's emotional eating, but I think intuitive eating is is the place we can all move to. And um, if we were going to talk about this in a sort of a spiritual adventure, is you know what lights you up. Like what makes you feel more connected to whatever your source is? You know, do you feel lighter inside your body? Do you feel more like you can access information that maybe you, you couldn't normally access in a really loving kind of way? And speaking of love, like I, I truly feel like when we're eating in the way that serves us, we're more loving to others. 
And, and I'm going to take, take this back to Guru saying he says something like, when we're eating blood meats, the, the, the fluids from the blood hits the, the nerves of the, the upper palate, the, the, basically the place between the gums and the teeth. And it triggers a memory of survival. So if we go back to he, his, his claim, and again, I don't know where he gets the information from, but we used to be vegetarian. Then the Ice Age came. We ate for survival. And so when the brain measures that we're eating blood foods again, we're triggering a survival response. And so we're naturally more aggressive. We're naturally wanting to um, survive, which may, basically means somebody has to win, somebody has to lose. And it triggers this fight or flight response to some degree where and then when he says when it comes to vegetarian type foods it's it's a reminder to that old part of the brain that we're in a safe place again so and you know what that sort of resonates with me because i i do feel there's there's this shift energetically that happens when i start to be more intuitive with my eating again not eating because the science books say that this is what it should be like but more how do I feel emotionally? Am I more loving? Am I feeling more connected to myself and my family, the people around me? Am I in a place of competition at all? Am I judging other people? You know, I think we can start to get a little bit more sensitive with, with how we're actually, you know, responding to our environment. Well, it's such a relationship. Yeah. You know, it's such a relationship with it. And, you know, on that, what would be a good way to, to measure that? I mean, someone could actually check heart rate before and after eating just meat and, and veggies. You could do heart rate variability. Yeah. Probably even check blood sugar and see if your body's having a stress response, right? A little bit. Yeah. And see if there's variations there. So, sleep yeah, I mean. Too, right? You could check your, your deep sleep. Yeah. Which would be a sign of that you're sympathetic. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you've got any sleep trackers, things like that, like the aura ring, uh, that'd be good. Yeah, and like I think a lot of that plays into just playing with it, right? Of like yeah. what what's working, what's not, but test, don't guess. Yeah. Test. And like Nick is, you know, there's a lot with with what Dr. Nick has to say of like there's a little bit of intuitiveness there. Like I think we're just drawn to certain things. You know, yeah. it's funny you were talking earlier about grains and it's similar with me, man. Like I have to moderate my grains on and off. But like I've noticed I need grains. Like Mm-hmm. And I don't want to get into the whole bowel movement thing. I don't mind talking about that because we have to Do talk it, about because it. your poop tells a story, right? It's true. So, like, if I'm doing keto and I'm and doing lots of, you know, we're in high fat, we're in the low carb, and I'm still eating lots of lots of roughage here, right? Like, I, I make yeah. sure I get my veggies down when I'm doing deeper deeper keto um, weeks, but. Buddy, I get constipated. Like, I'm not going to lie. And, like, I, I know all the talks about how it can cause inflammation if you're not getting fiber and all these things. So I really work on getting lots of fiber when I'm in keto. But honestly, man, like, I'll throw grains in, like, cycle some grains in sometimes. And I poop a million times better. Like, my di- my digestive tract, it honestly just functions way better, man. And I feel a ton better. So, like, yeah, that just goes to show you, like, everybody's different and like intuitively i know that like you're saying i can't do grains like every day like that starts to cause depression with me and i get down like you're saying yeah um but they've got to be cycled in there yeah for my system to actually run pretty well yeah you know it's kind of fun dialogue because it's you know 
those of you listening, maybe you're a doctor, maybe you're, maybe you're not, maybe you're a patient of ours, maybe you're someone who's just interested in, in health. And, you know, we get blasted with information and we research like crazy all these different avenues. And, you know, just, just like we make decisions on things at certain points in time, I think the, the message from this is, is listening, being open to the fact that how you're eating today may not be how you're going to eat for the rest of your life. And, and just be curious, right? Because it's, it, it's a journey where we have such a intimate relationship with food. And so it's a, it's a really common topic. And I think it's worth having open-minded discussions on these things. And, and we do, we wanted, part of what we wanted to share was just that, you know, we're challenged by these same things that everyone else is. And we're not perfect. Like I don't always eat perfectly, but my, my, me going off track at this point in my life is so different than when it was like 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, so yeah. even, even what we call off track is like, you know, to, to our younger self would have been like, wow, you're having a rock star day. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We, we've definitely leveled up, man. Yeah. It, it, I think back, back in the day, I'm like, Oh gosh, Oh gosh, our body is so resilient. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, let's talk about this real quick. So we, we have a little bit more time and then we got to get going. But so, we talk about this relationship with food. We're on the health side, but food is beautiful, man. Like you, you talk about this whole like community and tribal and we get, we get in groups and we sit down and we, we cook in the kitchen together with our families and you know, the smells and the aromas and the textures and the tastes. And so step outside that box and enjoy things that are just, it's just food. It's just an experience, right? And like, it's having good things. It's, it's not about putting trash in your body. And I don't definitely don't put the trash in, but like there's certain things that I'll eat from time to time that, yeah, they're not super great for me, but it's experiencing all that, right? Like I just said, the textures and the tastes and, and stuff like that. So like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be very forthcoming. And one of my weaknesses, I live in the Southwest. I'm in El Paso, Texas, right? Buddy, I love tacos. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, tacos are my jam. Yeah. You know, and, I'm, and I don't mind admitting that. So, like, when I like to splurge, you can ask Clarissa, that's what I like to go get. Mm-hmm. But I ate some pretty healthy damn tacos, man. Like, I'll be honest. I'm not getting the nasty, greasy stuff, right? Like, I'm <laughs> eating, we go to some pretty nice places that make pretty amazing tacos, and they use fresh ingredients and stuff like that. But, um yeah, I think it's it's also on another side is you don't want to be in a space where you have an unhealthy relationship because you're constantly think you have to be eating perfect all the time. Yeah. I think that's a little compulsive if you're never just stepping outside of that box every once in a while to just enjoy food or try new things. Mm-hmm. I don't what do you, what do you how do you feel about that, man? Yeah, well, I got I got the same taco affinity. I love <laughs> I love those corn tortilla chips, man. I don't know. Yeah, they're that good, must, aren't they? I must have been like a Latin American in my past life because it, there's it's a, there's a certain level of comfort that it, that comes with the taco, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I feel that, and and I and I totally agree. I mean, there's there's a level of um, I mean, there's there's food addiction, there's orthorexia, which could be sort of opposite ends of the scale. And then there's just pure enjoyment. Like there's just being, letting yourself enjoy the food. And, um, and I think that's, that's the, the dance and the balance. 
And there's great tools that you can utilize when you're eating foods that maybe your body's not jiving with a whole well, whole whole lot of uh, of efficacy. And maybe it's adding in some digestive enzymes once in a while. Maybe it's using you know the product restore just to protect your digestive system. And if you're going to eat those foods, like you said, you choose the better taco choices, the places that use the right kind of oils and you know, the right kind of grains and the non-GMO, like you can make better choices within this realm of the foods that really like light up our hearts, right? You know, when, when we're eating. So I think that uh, that's part of life is, is that, that pure enjoyment of eating and being in community and la- sharing laughter and, and um, really, really loving the, what you're putting into your body. And you can make really great choices while, while doing that. Oh, and it's a lot of fun, like the recreation, right? Like a lot of things, me and Clarissa, we know we can't find a healthy version out to eat. So we'll go to the store, we'll find all the right ingredients to make it healthy at home. Yeah. And honestly, it tastes just as good, if not better. Yeah. You know? and, and that's the fun part. It's just playing with food and enjoying it. And then like you're saying, finding the right source, where is it coming from? Mm-hmm. You know, all that's the biggest, the biggest things when it comes to that. And I love it, man. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm getting hungry as we're talking. <laughs> well, what I was going to say is that, you know, you had an experience because you you put yourself into an environment of uh, of vegetarianism, right? Sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes uh, something happens when you just immerse yourself in an environment for a little while, right? You know, we we off we get. I think we're all guilty of saying, "Oh, I tried doing that. It didn't work for me." But you don't really know unless you take you sort of take away some of the stressors of life. Like uh, retreats are powerful ways for people to, you know, get into an environment where they're just really trying a sort of not not necessarily even necessarily a mono diet, but you're trying something where you've taken out some of the other typical life stressors, and you get to see how a certain type of food does with, does for you in that environment. Because let's be honest, a good reason why a lot of people don't feel well after eating may have a lot to do with the food, but it also has a lot to do with your stress and your nervous system. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. We, and we know that even like there's new, there's new research even just on sound vibration, how it changes your, your microbiome. And temperature fluctuations change your microbiome. So no doubt the stresses that you're feeling are affecting your body's ability to digest food. And you know, I can't even there were even the retreats that that, uh, that uh, Dr. Sonia and I held the last year. Even there's people who don't usually eat the way that the food that was served at the retreat, and they were actually really concerned about how their digestive system was going to do. And guess what? Everybody had magical bowel movements there because you took away life stressors. So. It's, I think it's oh, yeah. a valid point to talk about those kinds of things, right? Well, and I think everyone's experienced this, and, and this is probably something that comes up with you with your patients and clients, where if some people go on vacation or they'll yes. travel, yeah. right? and they'll say, oh, I had no issues with pain or my stomach. <laughs> I had no issues with digestion. I felt amazing. And then they come back, and they're like, oh, it all starts up again. Yeah. That's a perfect example of the tone of your nervous system and your stress levels of your environment, right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And like, and one thing I always tell people like Nick saying is the tone of your nervous system determines whether that physiology plays off in the right or the wrong manner. So if you're in fight or flight all the time, you're trying to digest food, it's not going to work out real well for you. No. You know, and, and that's such a good point, man. I'm glad you brought that up. Well, and you, you know, like we, 
we think that we're managing stress well. Like, let's just be honest. Most of us have no idea what it's like to, and we, we were going to talk about consistency with stuff, right? So maybe it's sort of a good point to finish on. Um, we have no idea what it really means to turn off that stress response. We think that turning on the TV at nighttime and, you know, you put the kids to bed, finally I'm relaxed, but are you actually relaxed? You know, there, um, we know if we look at animals in the environment, when they're stressed out, they have a physical mechanism for releasing stress. They shake vigorously. You know, what do we do? We grab, well, not even, I don't do this, but some people grab a cigarette. Some people grab a cup of coffee. Some people grab alcohol. Some people have a medication they pop. Some people grab that sugar. You know, some people turn on the TV or your social media. Our mechanisms, our modern day mechanisms for de-stressing our bodies don't work. And so when you go on a vacation even, you're still doing those things. You can say, well, I'm still doing those things. You're still doing those things and you removed like nearly 90% of the things that actually stress you. Like yep. Your job stress you, maybe the people around you stress you, your friends, you're driving in the traffic or what have you. So you're putting yourself in a new environment. You're still doing the things that aren't necessarily good for you. I mean, there's, there's levels to de-stressing and, and our modern culture has not really, for the most part, dove into how to actually get your body out of that state. Buddy, you just like, that's our next episode when we talk. <laughs> I this think so, yes. Yeah. The epigenetic stressors influence the behavior of your nervous system and how that, what, how that plays out for you. Well, and you see it in your patients that you help with NIS too. Like we had a great conversation. If you guys haven't listened to the one with Dr. Jim Bentz and or, uh, David and him really dive into the role of NIS. Like you're seeing people with literally stressors turned on, sympathetic dominance in different particular organ systems. Well, right? you know what's funny too? So just a quick share because I do that multiple times a week. Like I'm getting very busy with it now, but the main thing that I find blown out on all my patients are their adrenals and their vagus nerve. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Comes out like very, very consistently across the board, man, on everybody. So it just goes to show you like how much stress are we honestly under and how well are we actually able to regulate that stress? And, and are you able to shift gears? Are you able yeah. to hit the gas and the brake? Because the, the reason a lot of people don't feel well, like you're saying, is they can't hit the gas or the brake efficiently anymore. So you're like a yeah. car driving down the road and you can't speed up when you need to and you can't hit the brakes when you need to. So that's not going to end up very well for you if you're driving a car. It's even worse for your body. Yeah. Uh, like Nick are talking. So, buddy, that was... You know what? You know what? I mean, we should coin that as nervous system flexibility like we talk about metabolic flexibility and getting so focused on your diet and macronutrients to get the ratios right you got to get flexible and you know fasting is obviously one of the more powerful way to do that but definitely to do with your macronutrients but you just taught you said the nerve like the nerve system the vagus nerve you before before we go talk about how you can get nervous system flexibility by like Tell, tell the, the, everyone who's listening a little bit more about that really important nerve. So real quick, our autonomic nervous system, we have two, two sides to this. We have what's called the fight or flight or sympathetic nervous system. And then we have what I call the rest and relaxation part, which is parasympathetic tone. So all day long, you have like all these processes that our, our body has to carry out on a daily basis from simple things as, as, as simple as I just need to digest food right now 
to, uh, let's say when you're working out, you need to shunt blood to your muscles and other things to fuel your muscles and your joints and stuff like that. So every little thing that you do all day triggers a tone in your nervous system. So the analogy I give is it's like a car with a gas and a brake. And you need to be efficient. And the switchboard between the system, the sympathetic and this parasympathetic tone is our vagus nerve. And the tone of this nerve plays a huge role in your body's ability to adapt and have this, this, this uh, what do you call it right now? Nervous system flexibility. We got, we got to figure out a better name for that. Yeah, we're, we're going to turn that. We're going to coin that for sure. <laughs> so when, like Nick is saying in this modern day world, because a lot of us are stuck in fight or flight and we don't ever come out of it. You know, our bodies are built to be in acute stages of stress, go into sympathetic, but then immediately come back out and go into parasympathetic tone. But many, for many of us, that's not happening. So all day long, you are in fight or flight. And then the severity is changing, but you haven't come out of fight or flight. And you've never gotten to that parasympathetic tone. And that has a lot to do with, like we're talking, like maybe you're not digesting food and you have horrible digestion or you're tired all the time or you have brain fog. So you're literally talking about a system that if you don't have that flexibility, your nervous system blows out, which is the master system that has to control everything in your body. So imagine all the things that are just going to have the rippling effect from this centralization of this problem ripple effect it's going to have on your overall health. So yeah, man, that's, so that, that in its foundation and, and we can have another episode and literally talk about what helps these things. Of course, chiropractic care, and there's all kinds of things you can do to improve vagal nerve tone. I mean, that would be a good, a good episode, but that, that's the foundation of, of how our bodies function. So if you're, if that's upside down and, and, and that system's just blown out all the time, then you have to make some serious lifestyle changes. That's the, the only thing I can really leave to just kind of wrap that up is some serious lifestyle changes are needed for people that are stuck like that all the time. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I think that we will have to pick up. Well, let's leave that. This is a to be continued. Yes. Because it's such an important topic and, and it's one thing to say stress is bad, but it's another thing to actually understand a little bit more about the anatomy, the physiology, the biochemistry, the electrical capacity, and uh, and to talk about some of the things that we do individually to on a regular enough basis that that help to switch us out of that state. And 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 again, there's going to be a discussion for sure on NIS and and how you help patients out of that because there's definitely some great tools in chiropractic care, et cetera they can physically do some adjustments to change the electricity. So um, mm. I'm looking forward to continuing that discussion, buddy. It's probably going to be a few weeks away from now, but um, uh, it's, it's an important one for sure. To be continued, brother. There you go. Man, it's always a pleasure chatting with you, buddy. It's, I sometimes get sad that we, we, we can only talk like this once a week because we tend to go down some fun rabbit holes. And, and, uh, and just hearing you, like hearing you has helped me just, talk through some of the stuff that so many people I think are challenged by. So uh, thanks for again for your wisdom. Brother, this was a blast. I learned, I learned a ton just from, from listening to you, man. And like you said, that was quite the rabbit hole today. <laughs> so hopefully everyone who's listening has left with maybe a little bit more awareness in their tool belt. Uh, you may not have gotten all the answers that you want, but, but know that we're all on this journey together. We're all learning and, and we're so grateful for all of you who do tune in regularly um it's it's a real honor that you're you're finding value in, in the things that we share so big big thank you to everyone and uh david we're i think we're we got another guest next week so we'll see you uh live on tuesday 
Yes, sir. Love you, brother. Love you too, man. Okay, guys, that's another episode of the Dr. Dads. We're out, and uh, we'll be seeing all of you or talking to all of you very soon. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the Dr. Dads and share with your family and friends. You can also follow and interact with Dr. Nick and Dr. David on Facebook and Instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness. Be well.